So it was 1864. The Civil War is at this point in its third year. And uh, it wasn't going well, I guess, at this particular time, it was not going well for the North. So uh, because of that, uh, they start drafting younger and younger recruits who basically have no experience, uh, very little training, and they're being handed rifles to go into battle. Roswell McIntyre was uh, 15. He was one of these young recruits. He was terrified. He was 15. So he ran. He deserted his battalion. Not long after that, uh, they capture him. They try him for desertion. He's found guilty. He's court-martialed. And then he's sentenced to death for running. His mother appealed to President Lincoln. Basically, she just begged for mercy. Um, She explained he was young and he was scared. Please just give him a second chance. So Lincoln brings the case to his generals. He wanted to get their opinion. And they said, no way. Um, You can't pardon this kid. They said it would set a a bad precedent. It would be terrible for morale. So you can't do it. Well, he did it. Lincoln did it. He pardoned this kid. And he wrote a letter uh, to him, oh no, to his uh, superiors. This is what the letter says. This certifies that Roswell McIntyre is to be readmitted to the New York City Cavalry. He was from New York. When he serves out his required enlistment, he will be freed of any charges of desertion. That letter, handwritten letter, signed by Lincoln is now on display in the uh, Library of Congress in DC. It was retrieved from the body of this kid Roswell, who was killed in action three weeks after receiving Lincoln's letter, three weeks after getting the pardon. So this kid went from dying, the prospect of dying by firing squad in disgrace to dying in battle as a hero. At the end of the war, or as the war was coming to an end, and at this point now, we knew that the North was going to win. Lincoln was asked how he'd treat the Southerners who broke from the country. And he said, I'll treat them as if they had never been away. I mean, it's this gospel. Lincoln's the father in the parable. Mercy, second chances. I was reading this article not too long ago. Somebody sent it to me. It's about, well, it's kind of about music. And uh, in the course of the article, there was a part of it where they, they were talking about 
the best-selling album of all time. The best-selling album of all time. Anybody know? Anybody have a guess as to what the best-selling album ever is? No, it's funny. Everybody has mentioned that. The White Album, the Beatles. Nope, it's not a, it's not a Beatles album. What? One more time. Peter Frampton, nope. I mean, this is according to this article. I mean, I, I think I'm right, but no, not Peter. Anybody else? Doc, nope. Doc, nope. This album was the, the best-selling album of the 20th century, and then when Michael Jackson died, Thriller eclipsed it for a while, and then the album came back and became number one again. Now, I have $50 I was going to hand out to the winner here, but I guess it's not going to happen. Oh, now everybody's shouting out names. Uh, the Eagles. Uh, the Eagles' Greatest Hits, uh, Volume 1. Uh, it's pretty much in every jukebox and every bar in anywhere you go. You always see this Volume 1 of Eagles. It's uh, sold 38 million albums. And it's the greatest hits. You know, the article talked about how it's just so universally loved. I mean, the Eagles are. Like, who doesn't love the Eagles? And, uh, like, every song on this album is just, you kind of love. Um, kind of appeals to almost all ages. You know, you could have a, a 25-year-old and a 75-year-old listening to the same song and kind of liking it equally. Um, it's just kind of universal. It has to be, right, to have sold that many? Well, if Jesus put out a greatest hits, like the essential Jesus, uh, this parable, I mean, without question, would be part of it. I mean, it might be the most popular, the best-selling of a greatest hits Jesus album. Um, we just all connect with it. It's kind of like this universal thing. It's just universal. Because I think we all connect with the characters, or at least the two sons we do. You got the one who was the fool, who just went crazy. Now think about it. The lack of respect. Pretty much like, Dad, would you hurry up and die so I can, uh, can, I, I can get your inheritance? He doesn't even wait. He asks him it before the guy even dies. And then you heard what happened. He just went crazy. Every stupid thing you could do, he did. And before he knew it, he was on the street. We all know people who've done that. Maybe we've done it. We've done some version of that where you just went through a, oh, like a very regrettable chapter in your life. Just were kind of stupid and selfish. And you really tripped. So we get that. Or we, if it, you know, we, we, we know people who've done that. And then you get the other brother who was kind of the opposite, very responsible, very much there, very present, followed the rules. We can relate to him too. It's kind of bitter, not very grateful. 
So we get these two, these two brothers, these two sons. I think most of us do. But the father, that gets a little more complicated, I think. He's the most important character. Because that's really what the parable is about. It's not about the two brothers. We know the brothers. It's like, tell us something we don't know. Yeah, some people act like fools. And some people are really responsible. We're probably a little bit of both. But the father, who's the father? Well, the father's God. It's a description of how God is. But his response, I think what makes this parable so amazing is like every sentence you could spend a half hour on. It, there's so many pieces to it. Like you look at his response, the father's response, when the kid finally says, all right, I'm done. I got nowhere to go. I got to go back home. He's admitted to himself that he's just been screwed it up. I'll go back and I'll apologize and I'll, hopefully he'll just give me a job. But then it says as he's waking his way to the house, the father sees him before he sees the father. The father sees him from a distance and he runs out and he runs to him and he pretty much tackles him, hugging him and kissing him. He doesn't even have to say he's sorry. He was forgiven before he even opened his mouth. That's the description Jesus gives of the father. I mean, and no, and then it gets even crazier. What he then says we're going to do to celebrate. He's getting special clothes and rings and food. We're going to have a party. I mean, think about it. Imagine your kid goes away to college as a freshman and completely goes haywire. Uh, party's like mad. The end of the semester, he's got three Ds, an F and an incomplete. And you're like, are you kidding? Like we just spent $25,000 on nothing. So you give him one more shot and you say, this is it. This is it. Next semester, you don't get it together. There won't be a semester after that. So the kid goes back in the spring. He comes back in the end of, the, the end of that semester. It's worse. He's got four D's and an F. And he got arrested that semester. And he comes home, and you've now just, you've just found out all of this. It's worse than the first semester. And as a parent, your response is, oh, let's throw Johnny a party. Like, are you kidding? We're going to have a party for him. And we're going to buy him a wardrobe. We're going to get him jewelry. We're going to get like the best meal we can get. Like, that would be like crazy parenting, wouldn't it? You'd be like, what are we trying to enable bad behavior? That's so not the way we would respond to a situation like that. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you, you get the point. But here's the point. The father is not, it's not, a, it's not a description of how we should be parents. It's a description of how God is or who God is. This is how God is. And you know what? Like, it's not really open for debate. It's not like my interpretation of God or, you know, some teachers or your grandmothers or some nun in some classes description of how God is. It's the son. Jesus is saying, this is how God is. Like, he can't stop loving us. Remember the song, great Ray Charles song, I Can't Stop Loving You? It's a great song. 
It's about a relationship, some kind of relationship. You know, maybe romantic, maybe not. I don't even know, but people who clearly loved each other, and it's ended, and we're not even sure how. Like, maybe there was a breakup or a fight, maybe it was death. It's over, but if you listen to the lyrics, if you listen to Ray Charles, like it sounded like he's singing like it never really ended. I mean, listen to this. Those happy hours that we once knew, though long ago, still make me blue. They say that time heals a broken heart, but time has stood still since we've been apart. I can't stop love. I'm sorry. Sorry, I lost my head here. Pardon me. I got caught up there in the moment. They say that time heals a broken heart, but time has stood still since we've been apart. Like, in other words, like Ray Charles is saying, I never stopped loving you. Whatever happened, whatever the the break, whatever the breach, I never stopped loving you. Those lyrics could be God's words. Those lyrics are this parable. That's how God is. He can't stop loving us. You know, when I was at St. Anthony's High School, when I was chaplain, the brother, I mean, the, uh, the principal there at the time was a guy, his name was Brother Shane Burke. He's a great guy. He's since passed away. And I uh, had an interesting relationship with him. I liked him, and, and I think he liked me, but I, I know I used to drive him crazy at points because I'd often go into him and say, listen, I, I think we need to look at this. Like, something's going on here with, you know, the, the senior class. You know, not good stuff that I think we need to confront. We need to talk it up. We need to address it. Uh, maybe it was discipline issues. You know, this time of the year, I'd be hearing confessions. Like, crazy number. I might hear 150 confessions in the course of a, of a week. So you just get a sense of what's going on. Kids were honest, as you should be in confession. I mean, I couldn't say anything about it, but in a sort of a general sense, it was a real eye-opener to me what was going on out there and maybe things that were starting earlier and earlier, concerning stuff. So I'd go to the principal and just say, hey, you know, I'm not naming names here by any means, but I think we need to, we need to be concerned about standards or the, the lowering of standards. I thought he was too soft, really. A kid who was on the, on the, on the edge, a kid who was on probation for discipline reasons, who really should have gotten the boot. Sometimes the, the principal wouldn't do it. And, you know, and I, I'd be frustrated. I'm like, come on, there's more at stake here than that one kid, like the school and standards. At any rate, one day he called me in my office. He said, hey, you got a minute? Can you come on down? I'm, I'm, with, a, I'm with a parent. And I was like, yeah, I'm right there. And I went down, and it was a mom. She had a son who was a senior who was about on the verge of being expelled. And she just started to plead with us. She was a single parent. Her husband completely checked out, absent. She said since the, the husband's departure, the kid was just not the same, started acting out. She was overwhelmed. 
And she just said, if, if we throw him out of here now, I'm not worried now, I'm going to be way worried if he's now thrown in his senior year into a new environment. She was pleading with us. Would you please give me a second, give him a... She wasn't defending him. She wasn't saying he was innocent. She knew he was guilty. She knew he deserved to be kicked out objectively, but she was like, please don't do this. Well, she left the room, and I'll never forget, he looked over at me, Brother Shane, and he goes, you see what I mean? Like, it's not so easy. It's easy to drop the hammer when you're distant and you're not sitting across the desk from a desperate mom or dad. But when you get close to the person, it gets more complicated. And hey, I'm not saying, nor was Brother Shane, never throw anybody out and have no standards. That'd be a disaster, of course. And sometimes, sometimes getting the boot, the tough love thing, is maybe the best thing that ever happened. I, I witnessed that too. It was the wake-up call that a, that a kid needed. So sometimes you do need to be that way, but not always. Not if we're going to take this gospel seriously. Not if we're going to try to be like God. You know, in uh, 2002, Pope John Paul II was in uh, Toronto, World Youth Day. He's in this gigantic field, about 850,000 kids he's speaking to. Kids. Listen to this line. He says to them, you are not the sum of your failures. You're the sum of God's love for you. And isn't that the best? You are not the sum of your failures. You're the sum of how much God loves you. And then you look at today. Look at the culture we're living in. Look at this sort of cancel culture attitude, approach. Well, hey, you know what? I think that's the result. That's what happens when you have an increasingly secular culture. When you live for more than a few years in a culture where God is being forgotten or shoved into some closet, that's what happens. You get a culture which says, you're no better than the worst choice you ever made. John Paul was saying, you're not the sum of your failures. Cancel culture says, you're no better than the worst choice you ever made. God, how gross is that? What a lie that is. That's awful. That's cancel culture. That's a culture without mercy. A culture without Christ is a culture without mercy. It's a culture that says, no, no second chance. You screwed up, you're done. You did something 20 years ago, you're done forever. You're fired, you're shamed. You'll never be taken seriously again. That's not how God is. How do we know that? Because we were told it in this parable tonight in the description of this father. So I think it comes down to this. It's like, it's a choice. It's ours to choose. And I think it's between two perspectives. You got Lincoln's response to that mother John Paul II's words, Brother Shane's approach to that mother, Ray Charles' lyrics, the father in the parable, or you got cancel culture. No choice there. No brainer.